The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Oh, be reconciled to God. He is love toward you. He has nothing against you, I tell you. God does not have anything against you. Come just as you are, knowing that the blood of Christ was shed by God himself in order to pay your fine, whoever you are. Drop all confidence in your baptism, your church membership, your upright character, your good works. Come to God and be reconciled to Him. Now that's the ministry of reconciliation. That's the gospel which we preach. Over a half a century ago, the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, then pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, saw the need to spread God's Word beyond the hearing of his local congregation. He started the radio outreach which has become known as Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. The application of God's Word as taught by Dr. Barnhouse is as relevant today as when he first taught over the radio airwaves decades ago. The message we'll be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled Reconciliation. A few years ago, an old man living in Iowa learned that his estranged brother was dying. Although they had not spoken for years, the old man drove his riding lawnmower hundreds of miles to visit his brother and make peace with him. He went to great lengths to be reconciled to his brother. But God has gone to much greater lengths in order to reconcile us to Him. Join us as we examine the glorious ramifications of the doctrine of reconciliation. The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled Reconciliation. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We ask thee to take thy word to each listening heart. Thou alone knowest the problems, the heartaches, the griefs, the sorrows, the trials, and the joys of thy people. And we ask thee to be with each of us in whatever our need. Bless to us the truth of thy word. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As we think of all that Christ did for us at Calvary, we note that one great act among the many accomplished by our Lord was to reconcile us to God. Romans 5.10 tells us, If when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Today I want to talk to you about the meaning of reconciliation and examine this phase of the salvation that is ours through Christ. The English word reconcile is taken straight from the Latin, and its dictionary definition is to bring a person again into friendly relations to or with oneself or another, after an estrangement. That there has been an estrangement between the soul and God 
is made abundantly clear in the book of Romans. Man has sinned and has fled from God. He is God's enemy. From our point of view, the offended God would have to be reconciled to man. But this is not what the Bible teaches. In Tennyson's Lotus Eaters, the poet says, the gods are hard to reconcile. And he expresses the idea that those who have been offended will not easily smile again. However, our God does not give us this picture of himself. God, who is late, holds nothing against the sons of darkness. He wants to bring them into the light, if they will only come. The Greek word for reconcile has a root meaning that is much more beautiful than the English. Many words that are used figuratively had a literal application before someone used them in a more picturesque fashion. For example, the word purify means much more to us when we learn that pure is the Greek word for fire, so that something that has been purified has been passed through fire. Likewise, the Greek word translated reconciled originally came from the world of the money changer. If you give two dimes and a nickel in exchange for a quarter, or a quarter for two dimes and a nickel, you have made an equal exchange. This meaning of the word for reconcile was used by Aristotle and other ancient Greeks. Little by little, the word began to mean adjustment of a difference in business dealings, and then of a difference between two personalities who had become estranged. And thus was affected the transfer from the material to the emotional and the psychological. In Shakespeare's play, Richard III, one of the characters says, I desire to reconcile me to his friendly peace. In the famous Thayer's lexicon, the author thinks that the word means the restoration of the favor of God to sinners that repent and put their trust in the expiatory death of Christ. But I believe that the New Testament meaning of reconcile is quite different from this definition, a meaning much greater and more wonderful. It should be noted that the word reconcile is never used of God, but only of men. At the outset, this is extraordinary and quite contrary to human ideas. But we're not to be astonished by this, for God's ways are not our ways. God took the initiative. He did not have to be reconciled to man because God is love. But man had to be reconciled to God because man was a helpless, ungodly enemy. Man was separated from God, estranged. He would not come back to God of his own will, and he could not come back to God because the fall had rendered him incapable of returning to God. Nevertheless, Man was responsible, and God planned to do something about it. He planned to save those on whom he had set his love. Since God is love, he never had to be reconciled. Those who refuse his love and continue on their own selfish way must incur his wrath. This is specifically set forth in 2 Corinthians 5, where we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ, 
reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, let us go back for a moment to the root meaning of the word reconcile, that is, to exchange coins of equal value, and then move from that idea to the thought of adjusting a difference. We see by Romans 5.10 that we were helpless, ungodly sinners, enemies of God, but God came in Christ and died for us. The death of Christ satisfied God's demand for righteousness and true holiness, and now his love could be poured out upon us. So God sets himself up like a banker in the marketplace and calls out to sinners, change your money here. I'll give you my power for your helplessness, my godliness for your ungodliness. I'll give you my righteousness for your sinfulness. I offer my love for your hatred. This message of reconciliation, which we are commissioned to preach, has almost disappeared from Christian pulpits. Multitudes of liberals preach a gentle reminder to sinners that Christ was a fine example of martyrdom and of willingness to die for a cause. And so man should show his goodwill by sponsoring all good causes. It's all very vague and fruitless. On the other hand, some evangelists who undoubtedly have the best intentions do not actually fulfill the ministry of reconciliation which God has given to us in embassy. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We beseech you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin, he who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let us examine some of the appeals that have been made so often that they carry almost the sanctity of divine utterance in some quarters, even though they should never be used by gospel preachers. First, there is the common invitation to the sinner to give his heart to God. As the Scotch evangelist James McKendrick said, what would God do with the dirty thing anyway? Nowhere in the Bible is the unsaved man asked to give his heart to God. Instead, God says, a new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. But someone says, doesn't the Bible say, my son, give me your heart? But God is not asking for the old, foul heart of unbelief. For he tells us through Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and incurable. God doesn't go to a lost soul and say, give me your heart. But after he has quickened the lost soul, the ungodly, and given him life in Christ, he then comes to him and says, My son, I've made you alive and you are now my son. Will you give me your heart? That's something quite different. Another mistaken appeal that's used by some evangelists is this one. If you do not receive Christ as your Savior, you will be lost. Now, at first glance, this looks like good coin, but it's actually counterfeit for such an invitation exalts the sinner and makes God and the devil bow before him. The sinner thinks that he is in a position to confer an enormous favor upon one or another of the suppliants. But the true declaration is, if you do not receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will remain lost. For you were born lost. You are already lost. And now we invite you to be reconciled to the true God who is all love toward you.
Most common of the erroneous appeals made by evangelists is the appeal to the human will, especially through the emotions. Nowhere do the scriptures authorize such an appeal. Instead, we have such flat statements as John 1.13 that a man is born again not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And in Romans 9.16 we're told, It depends not upon man's will or exertion, but upon God's mercy. Therefore, an appeal to the will of the listener is contradictory to the word of God, unless that listener is already a believer in Christ. The preaching to the will of the lost soul, however sincere, is not the ministry of reconciliation which has been committed to us as ambassadors of Christ. Still another error is found in a mistaken concept of the doctrine of repentance. Now do not misunderstand. There is biblical repentance, but there is also repentance which is not biblical. The unbiblical idea is that of being sorry for one's sins. To tell an unsaved man to be sorry for his sins is like asking a corpse to give itself a blood transfusion. Biblical repentance is called godly sorrow, and so can be experienced only by a godly person, one who has been born again. To think that an ungodly man can experience godly sorrow is a contradiction in terms. The original meaning of repentance is to change one's mind. It's the equivalent of the military command about face. When one becomes a Christian, the direction of his life must be changed. But this must not be confused with the false idea of weeping for sins in order to secure salvation. The logical sequel to that would be the idea of suffering for sins after death, and this would deny the finished work of Christ. Biblical repentance is the following. A man has been facing himself, trusting himself for salvation. His back has been turned to Christ, who is despised and rejected. Repent. About face. Now the sinner despises and rejects himself and faces Christ, in whom he now places all his trust. But is there no sorrow for sin? Oh, yes. But it comes much later in the Christian life as the believer learns to appreciate the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin. Paul had written much of the New Testament before he wrote, I know that nothing good dwells within me that is within my flesh. In one of his earliest epistles, he rated himself as number 12 or 13, when he said, I am the least of the apostles. Later in his ministry, he listed himself as number, we'll say, 500,000 or thereabouts when he wrote to the Ephesians that he was the very least of all the saints. But when he was an old man in prison and about to die, he wrote to young Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. As to my own personal testimony, experimentally, I knew nothing of godly sorrow for sin for many years after I was saved. Indeed, I continually asked God to increase that sorrow, that I might have an increasing horror of sin and an ever-growing sensitiveness to sin in every subtle variation. Such godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation and brings no regret.
Now, what is this ministry of reconciliation? Let me demonstrate it. First, here are my credentials. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We beseech you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. We know that others make these same claims, but do they have the authority of the word of God and of the Holy Spirit? My claim is based not on the fancied validity of ordination by a church. God's ambassadors are not chosen by apostolic succession, but by God's appointment. The validity of the appointment is to be judged by the faithfulness of the ambassador to the word of God. If you do not check all preaching by the Bible and by the Bible alone, you will be held responsible before God. But what about those who claim to minister according to the Bible? The answer is, look at their converts, for by their fruits you will know them. Do not judge them by the number of proselytes to a set of ideas, but by the lives that are transformed under their preaching. Judge them not by the statistics of people who come forward in an after-meeting, but by the number of young men who enter the same faithful ministry of reconciliation as a result of their preaching. But now to demonstrate the ministry of reconciliation itself. Imagine that I am speaking to a group that includes a Muslim, a devil worshiper from Africa, an atheist from Russia, an agnostic from the faculty of a university, a member of some cult that talks about the love of God but denies the salvation provided by the blood of the cross and along with the Moslem, the pagan, the atheist, the agnostic, and the cultist, there is you. To all in the group I speak as though God did beseech you by me. Hear what I have to say. You are all sinners, estranged from God. You've been running away from him ever since the Garden of Eden. God declares that you're helpless, ungodly, sinful, and that you have become his enemies. He authorizes and commands me to tell you that he has dealt with your sin by sending his son Jesus Christ to die for you. Christ's blood has satisfied the demands of God's justice. Christ's blood has silenced God's wrath against you, and he is now propitiated. God is thoroughly satisfied with the death of Christ as the substitute for your death. God doesn't have anything against you. Oh, listen to me, I tell you, God does not have anything against you. I declare it on the authority of God that he does not write down your sins to your account against you when you believe in Jesus. Every sin which you have ever committed or which you will ever commit has already been charged to the account of Christ, and God does not hold a thing against you. But he loves you. He knows that you're still afraid and that you're behaving as his enemy, but he loves you. He authorizes me to say that all has been forgiven. You're simply to turn around and come home. You must come just as you are. We sing in one of our hymns, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. 
You must not try to wash your face or brush your clothes. He will cleanse you and give you new garments. But he will not do so till you step inside the door with all your filth and ungodliness. He commands you to come as you are. If you make even one attempt to clean yourself up, it will deter you from obeying his command to come. After he gives you new clothes, you may brush them. After he has bathed you, you may wash yourself. Leave all your baggage outside and come with empty hands. He will give you new luggage for the Christian journey, which you can pack from his bounteous supply, but he will not permit you to bring anything with you when you come to him. Oh, be reconciled to God. He is love toward you. He has nothing against you, I tell you. God does not have anything against you. Come just as you are. Pagan, leave your fetishes and enter as you are. Atheist and agnostic, leave your doubts and fears and your intellectual pride and come as a bankrupt. Member of a false cult, leave outside your horrible caricature of God and come knowing that the blood of Christ was shed by God himself in order to pay your fine, whoever you are. Drop all confidence in your baptism, your church membership, your upright character, your good works. Come to God and be reconciled to him, for he has forgotten your sins. He has put them behind his back and will remember them against you no more forever. There's nothing to bring. Come as you are. There's nothing to do. Come as you are. There is nothing to say. Come as you are. There is nothing to patch or repair. Come as you are. You cannot come any other way, for you cannot please him except to come as you are. Now that's the ministry of reconciliation. That's the gospel which we preach. And when God commands you to repent, he means for you to turn away from anything that you are or that you have, and that you come just as you are to the eternal love that woos you in this hour. And our God and Father, we pray thee to bless to thine honor and glory, the word that has gone forth. Use it, O Lord, in many hearts. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Just when I need him, Jesus is near. Just when I falter, just when I fear, ready to help Ready to cheer just when I need him most, just when I need him most, just when I need him most, Jesus is near to comfort and is strong, bearing my burdens all the day long. For all my sorrow, giving up.
just when I need him most, just when I need him most, Jesus is near. It is wonderful to be reconciled to a friend or a family member who has been estranged from you. But it is infinitely better to be reconciled to God through the saving work of Jesus Christ. You can listen to an audio copy of today's message and additional Bible teaching by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse via the Internet by visiting us online at AllianceNet.org. Log on to this week's message entitled Reconciliation. A copy of today's teaching is also available by calling us toll-free, 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled, Reconciliation, or simply request message number Q76. We would also like to make available to you a free copy of our booklet entitled, Tragedy or Triumph. Our lives are often shaken by devastating tragedy, and yet we can look back later and see how God brought forth glorious triumph from tragic circumstances for our benefit and His glory. This free booklet contains six favorite sermons by Dr. Barnhouse, including Tragedy or Triumph, Who Died at Calvary, Oil and Wine, Salted with Fire, The Scales of God, and Falling into Grace. These messages will encourage, challenge, and uplift you. Ask for your free copy of Tragedy or Triumph when you call or write. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We exist to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible comes to you through the generous gifts of our listeners. If you have benefited from the broadcast and would like it to continue, please prayerfully consider a donation to help us keep this ministry on the air. For more information or to make a contribution to support and further our work, please contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103. Call toll-free 1-800-488-1888 or visit us online at AllianceNet.org. Be sure to ask for a free updated resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, daily devotionals, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians including Donald Gray Barnhouse, James Montgomery Boyce, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. Then join us again next time for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.